Hi, this is Robert Cunningham, pastor of Preaching and Vision at Tate's Creek Presbyterian Church. We want to thank you for listening to this resource, and we hope and pray it will be a blessing to you. One quick word, though, before you listen. While we are honored to be a resource for you, we do want you to know that an online sermon is no substitute for congregational life. It's a good supplement, but what you need more than anything else is membership and involvement in a local church. If you are not a member of TCPC, I want you to know that listening to your pastor is far more valuable than listening to this. If you are a member of TCPC, I want you to know that joining us in worship on Sunday is far more valuable than listening online. So to everyone, we are encouraged that you have sought us out, but much more encouraging would be for you to seek out a local church community. That said, thanks for listening, and may God now bless you as you do. Some of your pastors act like idiots. Uh, come and see it. Uh, this past Sunday, uh, I taught the kids the song, Father Abraham has many sons, and many sons has Father Abraham. I am one of them, so are you. You know that song, right? The right hand, left hand, right hand. It was total idiocy going on front. But I got to thinking about that song. And though it's true in a covenantal sense, Father Abraham does have many sons, and you and I are one of them. He actually, according to Paul in the Bible, only has two, Isaac and Ishmael. One father, two mothers, and that's what Paul is addressing here. And it's critical because how you see yourself in alignment with those sons is a matter of eternal consequence. And I don't mean your genetics or your DNA. It's about faith, where you find yourself sheltering under which sun do you find yourself. And Paul is pleading with the Galatians, and now 2,000 years later, later, pleading with us, please shelter yourself under the son of promise, who is Sarah's son, Isaac. And so he gives an impassioned defense here. But before I show you what he says here, let me recap where we've come, because maybe you haven't been here each week as Mark and I and, and others have been preaching through Galatians. We're four chapter, almost five chapters in to this thing. And this is, what, this is where we've come from. Paul was sent out from the church of Antioch, he and some of his friends, to go and proclaim the gospel of the kingdom to the Gentiles. And he went through all the major cities of this Southeast Asia area, Turkey-ish region called Galatians. At one point, Paul gets ill, whether it was his eyes or his legs or his malaria, we don't know, but he had to take shelter in one of these Galatian communities where he proclaimed Christ over and over and over to them. Paul proclaimed to them it was Christ alone, that they, they did not have to become Jewish to take on the Jewish Messiah. He was the Messiah for the nations. And he proclaimed this good news to them over and over. At one point, Paul says to them, you you were caring for me in such a way that I was a burden to you, but not really, because we were in this together as I proclaimed God's grace to you. Paul leaves that area, assuming that the foundation of Christ has been laid, and sometime later, 
some leaders from Jerusalem called the Judaizers come to Galatia and begin to throw them into fits. They were challenging Paul's authority. They were challenging Paul's gospel. Yes, Jesus died on the cross and he is the Messiah, but he's a Jewish Messiah and therefore you need to become like a Jew and you need to keep the festivals. You need to listen to the law. You need to have circumcision. And the Galatian church became hemmed in once again. And Paul gets wind of this and he gets so astonished by this, he even confronts Peter to his face on his hypocrisy of adding to Christ some sort of moral law keeping. This hypocrisy was so pervasive that Peter and Barnabas themselves were led into this hypocrisy. Thankfully repented of that. But the summary of what Paul was teaching them was in Galatians 2. We know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. And then he spends chapter 3 and chapter 4 of his personal letter saying to them, think about your citizenship as a son, an heir. Think about your place in the law. It was meant to teach you, not save you. And then he comes here to this passage where he's going to talk about Abraham and his two sons. All along, Paul is pleading with them, stay in Christ. Don't come out from under his shelter. Do not come out from under this good news that Christ redeems you. It's all about Christ. Stay in him. So now let's look at this passage. I'm going to teach it to you, and then I'm going to apply it. Verse 21. A, a, a very probing, pry, uh, pricking question. Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you listen to the law? What he is implying here that is if you really understood what you're saying about adding to Christ all this stuff, you then are responsible for the weight all that stuff will come to you. When I was young, my grandfather used to teach me to split wood. I love splitting wood to this day. It's one of my favorite hobbies. I've got the wedge. I've got the axe. I've got the maul. I love to split wood. I've got a wheelbarrow. And at one point, as he was teaching me how to split wood, there you know, came that moment as a 12, 13-year-old where the wheelbarrow now is mine to haul. And I'd never hauled a wheelbarrow, right? So I'm like, Grandpa, I got it. And I got a you know, stack full of wood. We just split. And you know what's about to happen. Here's this you know, self-confident 13-year-old, picks the wheelbarrow up, has no nut, knows nothing about weight balance and all that, and whing, the wheelbarrow and all the wood tips over. My grandfather just you know, kind of laughs and said, you know, and he taught me how to, to haul a wheelbarrow. But I say that illustration because my kids, you know, as they were growing up, were all like, I do it myself, Dad. You know, when I teach them to tie a shoe. I do it myself when I go to the potty. I do it myself. And all of that's real cute when it's to firewood and hauling wheelbarrows and tying your shoes. But Paul is saying it's exactly what these Galatians were doing. He's like, I'll do it myself. Oh, okay. Here's the weight. <laughs> Here's the weight of what it means for you to do it yourself. He says, you're not listening to the law. If you think that you can add that law back to Christ. Now you're subject to all the weights of every dot and tittle of that law being fully righteous because no one will stand before God in unrighteousness. So go ahead, add it to you. He says, don't do this, guys. Remember, on the cross of Jesus Christ, he said, it is finished. Meaning, everything required to satisfy divine justice, to bring salvation to God's people, has been done. It is finished. And if you're now saying 
Uh, it wasn't quite finished, Jesus. Thanks for dying for me. I've got a few things I want to add to that. He's saying, you're not listening. So which is it? Christ either completely finishes your salvation or you are now in charge of completing your salvation by adding to it whatever it is you want to add. This is no small matter. Do you understand you have to bear the full weight of the load of which you decide to carry? Why not let Christ bear the load fully? He said he did it. It's finished. That's his plea. And then what he does is he takes an Old Testament story that those Judaizers would have been promoting, we're sons of Abraham. Listen to us. He says, okay, let's talk about the sons of Abraham. And this is where he goes. Two sons, two women, two covenants, two mountains, and two paths. All right, ready? Let's do it. Verse 22. For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. And we just read, we just had in our Old Testament reading a, a, a section of where this, pl- this story took place. If you want to read its fullness, you can go to Genesis 12 through Genesis 22 and read the full account. But here's basically what happened. God came to Abraham. He said, Abraham, I'm going to make you the father of many nations. Go outside, look at the stars. If you can number them, that's what your descendants uh, will be. Whoa. In Genesis 15, Abraham believes God, and it's counted to him as righteousness. Paul uses that passage in Romans 4 to say, faith alone gave Abraham his righteousness. So then the story goes on. And he's remembering this. God's made this promise, going to make you a great nation. And he's like, yeah, God, this is kind of a problem. To become a nation probably would require a son that then a host of nations would come from it. And I don't have a son. So is Eleazar, my uh, servant, going to be the inheritance of this? And he says, nope, a son's going to come from you. So the story goes on, and Abraham and Sarah are like, uh, it ain't happening. And then God says, and then Abraham and Sarah go, hey, I got an idea. Let's take your servant, Hagar, and let's give it to Abraham, and she'll give a birth to a son, and, w- and he'll be there. And then Ishmael is born. So God says, nope, not going to do it through Ishmael. And in our passage, Abraham fell down and laughed because God said, actually, a physical son is going to come from you. And he fell down on his face and laughed. Why? He's 100. Sarah's 90. You don't need an anatomy class to understand. That's impossible. So he's laughing at God. He had said to him, the slave son is not going to be the heir of my promise. A son of promise is going to come. And sure enough, at age 90, Sarah gives birth to Isaac son of promise and they name him Isaac which means he laughs so the two sons and two women illustrate God made a promise to Abram and Sarah they tried to fulfill it on their own account this is called self-righteousness they tried to do it I do it myself right the cosmic wheelbarrow journey I do it myself no you're not going to do it yourself I'm going to give you a son of promise. Isaac is that son. Sarah is his mother. Now, two sons, two women. Now, look at two covenants and two mountains. Verse 24. Now, this may be interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai, bearing children of slavery. She is Hagar. Now, Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem. For she is in slavery with her children. 
but the Jerusalem above is free. She is our mother. Paul says this, that this historical account of two very real women and two very real sons can actually be interpreted allegorically as well. This is a very good and often used literary technique that the Bible uses and the teachers of the Bible. It's to take the stories that were real and apply them allegorically to show the deeper or bigger meaning of them. Here it is. The Bible is not meant to show you where you should and shouldn't try to get your life in order. The Bible is meant to show you that despite the worst of human behavior, God always fulfills his promises over and over and over. Paul says the two women are two covenants. They correspond to two mountains. The first woman, Hagar, corresponds to Mount Sinai. What happened on Mount Sinai? That's where Moses received the law. And if you want to associate yourself with Hagar, then you have to put yourself on Mount Sinai where the law now becomes your judge. That's what he's saying. That's one covenant. The other covenant is Sarah. And she corresponds to the Jerusalem above. Because see, what he said about Sinai was the present Jerusalem, or literally the Jerusalem of now in his day. Meaning, those, those guys that are upsetting your faith, those Judaizers, they're from the Jerusalem of now, where all the children in that city are under slavery, because they've aligned themselves with Sinai. And he says, there's a Jerusalem above. Now, get on the edge of your seat, because I'm going to finish the sermon with that sentence, the Jerusalem above. What is he talking about? He's not talking about GPS coordinates or longitude latitude. You can't go to this Jerusalem. It's the Jerusalem from above. It comes to you, and we'll see that in a minute. But if you want to align yourself with Hagar, you want to align yourself with Ishmael, then you will align yourself with the present Jerusalem where the children are in slavery. Two mountains, two covenants. What does Paul mean? All the promises of God find their yes and their amen in the Son of God, Jesus of God are not fulfilled in Ishmael. That's self-righteousness. So then he quotes verse 27, the prophet Isaiah. Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. Why does he quote this verse? Isaiah is writing to the people who are in exile. They're not in Jerusalem. Jerusalem, literally in the time of Isaiah, was barren. The people were in exile. And he says to Jerusalem, rejoice. Break forth and cry aloud, you who do not have sons. Why? Because he was prophesying about the son to come, the son of promise. So we have two sons, two women, two covenants, two mountains. You brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. But just as at that time he who was born according to the flesh, Ishmael, persecuted him who was according to the spirit, Isaac, so also it is now. But what does the scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her, and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. Brothers, you are not children of the slave, but of the free woman.
Paul's sincere hope was that he didn't labor in vain among them. That they truly were children of the promise. That having believed that Jesus alone was the promised son, however, the children of the slave women were perpetually persecuting the ones born of the spirit. And that's what was happening in that moment. They were slipping back into slavery, persecuting the ones that were born of the spirit. Persecution is a good evidence that you're living as a son of the free woman. This fight continues between the sons of promise. This is why Paul says to them, he quotes from Genesis 21, cast out the slave woman and her son for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the free woman. This is what Paul was saying to them, cast them out. Literally, cast them out of your mind, cast them out of your heart, cast them out of your city. They are binding you. They are submitting you again to a yoke of slavery. Get them out. And he finishes the passage, so we are not children of the slave, but of the free. Paul tells them that if you're going to subject yourself to law keeping, you better pay attention to what that means. You will be a slave to that law keeping and the weight therein. It never lets up. The example he uses is the story of Hagar and Ishmael, Sarah and Isaac. They represent slavery and bondage or freedom and peace. Two covenants, two women, two sons, a covenant of freedom or a covenant of bondage. Jerusalem of now or a Jerusalem above. His bottom line, if you are in Christ, then you are son of the free woman. Why in the world would you subject yourself to slavery again? Now, Let's apply this. My hope for all of us is the same as Paul's. That I would plead with you as Paul pleaded. How can you so quickly turn from him who called you by his grace to another gospel that really is no gospel at all? From Genesis to Revelation, this theme of two sons is arguably the theme of the Bible. Think about this with me. Genesis 1 and 2. God creates heaven and earth. And the crowning achievement of his creation is men and women. Adam and Eve. He called them very good. And they dwelt with God in peace. They dwelt with him in flourishing. God was with them. They were together in harmony. And there was nakedness and no shame. And then the tempter comes. And he tempts them. Says, God didn't really say that. And they come out from under the shelter of the Almighty and do it thyself. I do it myself. Take the tree, the fruit, and they eat, severing their relationship with God, severing their relationship with each other, and literally all hell breaks loose. And in Genesis 3.15, God addresses the audience. The audience is the serpent, the tempter, the devil, and Adam and Eve. This is what he says. He looks at the devil and he says, I'm going to put enmity between you and the woman. A war is going to be between your son and her son. You, your son, is going to bruise his heel. Persecution. Her son is going to crush your head. And thus starts the journey of redemption in our Bible. Where the son of promise crushes the head of the sons of disobedience, the sons of slavery. So as I thought about this, 
Which path am I on? Do I live as a son of the slave woman or as a son of the free woman? And as I've walked with God for 27 years, as I've pastored people for 25 of those years, I've thought about this as a coin, a two-sided coin. We call the coin self-righteousness, and on one side of the coin is fear, and on the other side of the coin is pride. Because when you're self-righteous and you, you subject yourself to I do it myself theology, you subject yourself to Ishmael and Hagar slavery. Because now it's on you. And that engenders for some of us fear. I'm afraid that the world is going to hell in a handbasket. I'm afraid I might lose my earthly status or freedom. I'm afraid my kids won't turn out right. I'm afraid I'll disappoint God with the choices of my job and friends and my, and, and my mate. I'm afraid that the world of all, I'm afraid of the world and all its evil. I'm afraid of discomfort and suffering. I'm even afraid of dying. Many of us live in crippling and debilitating fear. We do this because we think God is judging us on the basis of the performance and law keeping or our religious fervency. We're afraid of messing up. If we see God this way, we see him as behind the slave woman. We approach God with fear. He's dangerous. He's capricious. He's going to give me a disease. He's going to take my job. He's going to take my money. He's going to take my kids because I haven't obeyed enough or fully or rightly. God is treating me as an undesirable slave child. He's just wanting for us to mess up so that he can bring down his punishment and banish us from his presence. Many of you know exactly that experience. Friends, if you find yourself this morning crippled by fear, if you live in relation to God and others as if they have a hair trigger ready to, def- to, to bring about chastisement and punishment to you, please hear what Paul says. You are no longer a slave but you are of the free woman. In fact, when he approached Abraham, you know what he said to him? First thing, fear not. Don't be afraid. I'm not that God that you think is gonna Zeus lightning bolt you for every mistake you've made. I'm actually the God who gives children to 90-year-old women. I keep my promises. I'm a faithful and true God. That's one side of the self-righteous one. Fear is just a uh, distancing self-righteousness. I distance myself because I'm afraid. The other side of the coin is pride. I'm more disciplined than you. I'm more focused than you. I've taken personal responsibility. I've done X, Y, and Z, and I have not done X, Y, and Z. Look at my religious history. Look at my kids. Look at my, the list goes on. look Look at what I've done. Surely God is for me. Look at the things I've done. Surely God's glad to have me in his kingdom. Same answer you. That's why it's the same coin, right? There's one answer. You need to hear Paul say, you're no longer a child of the slave. You're free. If you find yourself constantly measuring yourself up against others and arriving that you're superior, you're acting as a slave woman, child. What, what you have in Christ has come from nothing of yourself. It's a son of promise. And that's you as well. The sons of God are sons of humility. God met me in my barrenness and desolation and gave me a heritage as a free son. There's not room for the self-righteous coin of fear or pride when you see yourself as a child of a free woman. Listen to what the son of God said when he was on earth. Listen to what he said. This was when he was teaching about the nature of his family and kingdom. Blessed are the poor in spirit, 
for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. Friends, this is the Son of God saying, this is what my family and kingdom is like. That is freedom. So I told you we would close by looking at, Paul says, the sons of Sarah and Isaac are from the Jerusalem above and she is our mother. What in the world is he talking about there? One of my deepest burdens as I walk through this life is how many Christians I see so hemmed up It's like going to a cage and looking at a thoroughbred in a cage knowing that horse ought to be running on a track free and fast. And so I feel a growing burden to herald from the mountaintops. You are free to love. You are free to serve. You are free to laugh. You are free to give. You are free to suffer. And you are even free to die. Why? Because you're a son. But this isn't Will Witherington theology. Listen to Revelation 21. So I told you from Genesis to Revelation, the whole theme is about the sons. And at the end, one son reigns supreme. And we know who that son is. Listen to what the son of God, Jesus' best friend, John, the apostle, says he saw. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. This is where Paul gets the heaven, the heavenly Jerusalem. It doesn't have GPS coordinates. It doesn't have a geopolitical status in the world. It doesn't go to the World Health Organization meetings. It doesn't subscribe itself to the United Nations. It's the Jerusalem above. And if you're hidden in Christ, when that kingdom is revealed, you too will be revealed in Christ. It's coming, the new Jerusalem, where the sons and daughters of promise reside. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, behold, the dwelling of God is with man. He will dwell with them. They will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. And listen what happens when that relationship is mended fully. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning or crying or pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. The life of the slave is gone. There's no more fear of dread. There's no more fear of disappointment. There's no more suffering. No more crying. No more barrenness. All the sons of God are revealed. And the creation is restored to its full freedom. And he who was seated on the throne said. Here's the son of God talking again. Behold, I am making all things new. And he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. It is done.
that sound familiar? It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage. I will be his God and he will be my son. Friends, when Paul is pleading with them to stay in Christ, it's not to stay aligned with the Christian club. (laughs) It's to remember that their sonship is in the new heavenly Jerusalem. And when King Jesus comes to bring that reign and rule, what he brings with him is life and love and flourishing for all of his children. Why in the world would you then go back to slavery? Can you see Paul's argument? This is your riches. This is your heritage. Why would you listen to these fools from the earthly Jerusalem who are just trying to bind you up in your conscience? Stop listening to them. The Son of God has come. He has died on the cross. He has risen from the dead. He reigns at God's right hand. He is coming on the clouds with a kingdom that has no end. This is your heritage. This is your God. You are a son of that promise. Amen? Let's pray. I know it's hard. Let's pray and ask God every step of the day, every hour of the day, every year of your life that you align yourself with the free women, the son of promise. Let's pray and ask God to do that. Lord, thank you for such a clear passage. Though complex in its structure, maybe even intimidating to try to understand, but now with such clarity, we understand we, we are children of the free woman. Because you are the God of promise. And so as I pray right now, God, I pray for my friends here that are hemmed in by fear. Lord, I pray that you would come and assure them of your presence. That your presence is a glorious presence, a calming presence, a peaceful presence. That even in the midst of a hurricane, you are an anchor that stills their soul. You are not angry with them. You are not just tolerating them. You are their father. They are your son and daughter. Banish their fears today. And when they get afraid again later this week, would you assure them that you love them? Lord, for for those of us in this room that are proud, that are striving to earn your favor through our efforts and work and parading around this world as if we had done something, humble us. Let us remember that we were barren a desolate land, and you came and gave us a promise. Grant us the grace of humility that we might walk through this world with the power of heavenly meekness, the power of being a son. So Lord, wherever we are today, remind us that we are not children of the slave woman. We are children of the woman that is free. Sons of daughters of promise. In Christ's name we pray and live. Amen.